Hey everybody, my name is Jeff, and uh, with me is Brother Brent. Do you want to introduce yourself? <laughs> sure. Uh, like Jeff said, I'm Brent. Um, I'm a pastor out here in Kansas City. I don't know. Do you want me to say anything more? No, no, no. We'll get into all that. And I'm my name's Jeff. I'm a pastor in Sacramento. Uh, both of us are in the Church of the Nazarene, and we are kind of starting this new venture here, uh, Religious, a, a podcast about the possibility of religious life in the Church of the Nazarene. So we're going to explore some of that and what that means, what that is. Um, Brent and I have been a part of this group for just dozens and dozens of days here. Uh, it's been months uh, since we've been plugging away at this, but um but it's it's been great. So we're a part. We are both postulants in the community of Saint Macrina, the younger. Um, I know I've asked this before. Do you say Saint Macrina or Saint Macrina? I I say Macrina. Um, okay. Nobody's corrected me yet. So. Okay. All right. Um, so we'll eventually we'll talk about Saint Macrina at some point, um, and we'll discuss um, yeah discuss all that fun stuff. But we want to just. Um, we wanted to sort of explain what it is that we're doing um, and maybe answer some of the questions that you have. Maybe they're really questions that I have. I don't know. We're going we're gonna to see as we go through this thing. So the community of St. Macrina is, Brent, could you give a quick, brief definition of it? What's your elevator pitch? Yeah, so the community of St. Macrina the Younger is a, um, is a hopeful monastic movement within the Church of the Nazarene, um, looking to live out a religious life, following a, a rule of life um, made up of both ordained and lay members, uh, men and women. And really, it's just a group of us that feel this, this draw to a, a monastic sort of vocation and just trying to figure out what that looks like, especially um, it is a, like Jeff said, it is a relatively newer group. It's something that we just started within the last six months, really, um, is when kind of everything has come together um, in order for us to really push on. But yeah, it's essentially a group of, of Nazarene monastics is, is what we're trying to be. Yeah. Now, the Church of the Nazarene is, I mean, at least according to our website and all the stuff that people say, um, the buzzwords, Wesleyan, holiness, and missional. Um, we'll dive more in later, but uh, we also want to add a part of the church Catholic. I think that's a part of being uh, Wesleyan. Uh, but if you could, if you could talk about like, um, well, first off, maybe I'll let you let you give a brief synopsis of what religious life is or what monastic life is. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to. So um, I was actually having a conversation earlier where I kept referring to uh, monasticism and somebody said like, you know, what is that? And I told them that when I say monasticism, really, I mean religious life, but I feel like more people are more common with monasticism than with religious life in general. Um, so with religious life, um, it's slightly different than I think what most people would think of it when they hear it today. Like people would be like, oh, I'm a Christian, so I'm religious. 
but that doesn't make one a religious. Um, so religious life is made up of monasticism or a group living within a community together, um, following a common rule of life, or there's mendicant orders, which they don't necessarily, don't necessarily all live together, um, but they still all live under a common rule of life. And, you know, when we think of like monasticism, you might think of the Benedictines. Um, and then when you think of the mendicants, you might think of something like the Dominicans or the Franciscans. Um, and then there's also eremitical, which are, are hermits, those that choose to live a religious life by themselves, completely away from anybody else, coming into the community only to celebrate the Eucharist and feast and stuff like that together. Um, but essentially, religious life is a dedication of one's life to living out a set way of living, a, a rule of life, in order to pursue holiness. Yeah, which kind of plays into that second piece there, right? Um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, the Church of the Nazarene, um, Wesleyan, John Wesley, 18th century, um, a part, he was an Anglican priest and... and um, and the founder of the Methodist Methodist movement um, never left the Anglican Church, and his theology and example has been um, the impetus for for the we'll say the best of the Church of the Nazarene, in my judgment. Um, not all of the Nazarene Church, of course, but um, I think probably the best of it. And so, a core part of that is this this understanding of holiness as a very real lived reality, uh, not something we put off into the future and expect to have done in us um, at a later date, uh, but rather a, a sort of part of the the lived the lived possibility for everyday Christians. Um, and and that's, I mean, that's the desire I think that has driven driven so much of this is a desire for holiness in in ourselves a desire for holiness in our local churches um and and that's been the that's been the driving force behind a lot of um a lot of religious in in the church as the church sort of um we'll talk about that history at, at some point but um been times when you know the church has not always been its best self and and it's been it's been the religious orders that have been a part of calling it back to its true, truest identity um, and keeping that identity central. Um, and so Brent often likes to say that we, you know, we, we're here to be an icon. We're here to kind of be a picture. Um, every yeah. Christian is, um, and this community is in particular. So, yeah. So Wesleyan holiness, missional. Um, the, I remember when I was, kind of moving toward moving towards seminary going out and visiting Kansas City and um I think it was Dean Blevins I remember sitting there talking about what it means to be missional um and you know um I'm not I mean missional means a lot of things uh but primarily that we are there is this sort of sentness to um to both the uh what we know about God, but also to the church, right? That a church that is um, settled uh, and sort of in its in its bag and not quite moving, not not um, not motivated um, to move forward and to continue to discover the places that God is is at work has misunderstood its core 
identity. So the, the tagline is the church doesn't have a mission. The church is a mission. Um, and, and there are some, there are some pretty significant um, pieces there. I think when it comes to religious life, the, especially the lives of the, the mendicants who are always sort of on the move um, because St. Francis kind of constantly begging and having his, having his friars um, beg as a part of their life. So I'm, I'm also interested, I know there's been this sort of, um, I don't know if you want to say ecumenical move um, in the last century in the church, um, a real push toward unity, uh, despite all the appearances. Um, <laughs> people at least care about the idea of unity. Um, and, and I'm, it's something that I think um, is uniquely suited to um, that those who are given to monastic life or to religious life are uniquely suited to to push for this this sense of unity across maybe denominations. Um, what do you think, Brent? Is that crazy talk? No, I think that's spot on. Um, you know, I think we we really are seeing that a lot really lived out. I mean, we think of Vatican II. Um, that was very much an, an ecumenical push um, within the within the Catholic Church. Um, I think of there's a book. Um, what is it called? I'll I'm blanking on it, but I'll 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 I'll, I'll, tr- I'll try to come back to it. Okay. Um, and I'll I'll send you the name of it, and we can put it in the footnotes or something. Okay. But basically, it was written by this French um, this French prior and one of the things that he had talked about he was basically the the thesis of his book was asking the question is protestant monasticism valid with what protestants believe and is it valid based on what catholicism and orthodoxy believes about monasticism Um, and his conclusion was a resounding yes this is a valid movement and one of the things he says in his final chapter, um, Fran- Francois Biot, that's his name. Um, what he says in the final chapter is he goes, I can imagine the day when we will have different orders come together from different denominations that are tied together by the order rather than the denomination, which we see today. I have a friend who's the abbot of a Benedictine community within the Anglican church. And he is invited to the yearly gathering of Catholic mm-hmm. Benedictine abbots that he is invited to participate and give feedback and that he is a part of this collegiality. And so it's really interesting to see this book that was written in the 1960s being lived out today in 2021. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it's spot on that, that, that there is this ecumenical thing at play um, another friend of mine, he, he's the founder of the community of Mary, mother of the redeemer, which is an Episcopal, um, religious community. And one of the things that we've talked about is you, you see this idea of religious life and religious communities and monasticism popping up across denominations. Mm-hmm. We see it in obviously the Catholic and Orthodox church, but we see it in the Anglican church. We see it in Lutheranism. We see there are are Methodist monasteries and Methodist um, religious orders. And so he was like, it just makes perfect sense that y'all Nazarenes are finally trying to start one too. Right. Right. 
and so I, I, I think there is this commonality that we are seeing. This is just a good way to be Christian together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's fundamentally two different pieces there um, that push against, um, you know, they kind of, they, they push against maybe some of the problems we have in the faith in general right now, um, which is one, there's a, there's a push toward rigor, right? Like I'm actually going to give myself to something hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I don't, I don't want a faith that is, and there's obviously varying levels of, of monastics that you find. You can go super intense and like give everything up and disappear into the hills and, um, and there's sort of that level. And then, um, and then you have, you have easier levels and that's to be expected. I think God gives different grace, different, different graces to people. Um, but, uh, so there's this push toward rigor. There's also this push toward not being alone, like not being <laughs> isolated in our pursuit of, of holiness, in our pursuit of faithfulness. Um, and ideally you see that happen in the local church. Um, but it doesn't always, um, and, and the local church isn't always that place for, um, for those things to take place. And so how can we be, how can we remain committed, devoted members of the local church um, and recognizing the importance of that while still sort of pushing on um, into, into higher and deeper things, you know, going further up and further in. Um, so I, I'm, yeah, I think it's, it's great to see um, so monasticism and religious life um, has it's been a part of the church's life for a long time. Um, it wasn't so much there in the 18th century in England. Um, there were no monks. <laughs> if in, I mean, there were maybe a, a couple here sprinkled around. Um, but it came back into Anglicanism um, with the Tractarians right in the 18th century. A little before that, even. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they, they definitely played a uh, big part, but yeah. Um, yeah, it all started with, let me see if I can find her name. I, I, I did a bunch of this for a paper last semester. Um, but yeah, so part of the issue was the dissolution of the monasteries, which King Henry VIII did. Um, and so when that happened, it wasn't so much a it really wasn't a religious move. It was unfortunately a political move. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of monasteries in England. There's a bunch of monks. The way history happened, there just ended up being a, a, a lot of money tied up in that land. Sure. If I get rid of all the monasteries, I just gained a lot of land. Yeah. Um, yep. And so, yeah, for, for a long time, the idea of, um, the idea of monasticism in England had kind of been wiped out, but there's a community called the community of little getting, um, which essentially set, set the movement. Um, it was a family that all came together and started to, to live this monastic life. Oh, yeah. And it, it, it slowly, um, Nick, Nicholas Ferrar, I think mm-hmm. is how you say his name. Mm-hmm. It, that laid the foundation and then people built off of that and people built off of that mm-hmm. until, um, you know, yeah, you end up getting people like, like the Tractarians, you, you end up getting people like John Henry Newman who says, 
if we don't give the people monasticism, they will leave, which is what you see John Henry Newman doing. He, he wanted to start a monastic movement and he wasn't able to. And so he, he left and the, the first religious in England again, after that time, um, was a woman named Marion Hughes who came before Edward Pusey, um, back in 1841 and, and made, made religious vows before him, Yeah, which started that community. And she, once she took those vows, kind of the, the floodgates opened and, mm. and monasticism was back. Wow. Wow. Yeah, no, that's cool. And I, Sorry it's, for that tangent. <laughs> no, 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 it's a great tangent. And, and I think it's, there's this desire for it and, and the, um, the, impulse has in some ways kind of always, I feel like it's always been there among Protestants. And even like, as you get more radical, like radical reformation types, like um, even though we might look at it and go like, okay, they're, they're sort of anti-Catholic and we maybe don't really have that sentiment because of history or whatever, but um, you know, the Shakers, the Moravians, these guys are like, they are moving out and creating communities of people who can pursue God with this, like, with this sense of, of rigor and focus and purpose. Um, and even though we probably can't look at them and say like, okay, they're monks, like there is this impulse within Protestantism toward intensity, prayer, study. Um, and, and there's kind of a, I don't know, I'm probably not on great academic footing here, but I think that there's a, there are common impulses there among, among those groups. Um, and, and it's, I mean, it's good for us to just sort of recognize it. You know, I'm always sort of struck by in, in our sort of day and age, what the church has not done very well (laughs) is, um, give, give a sort of challenge and adventure to young people, um, and say like, here's this really difficult thing that you can take up. Um, and in some sense, you know, organizations like YWAM or like other missionary organizations give that opportunity to young people. Um, and they're like, here, there, here's this thing that's really hard um, and costly and you're going to put off college or, you know, whatever you're going to do. Um, but, but you can go do it for a year or two years. And, and those kinds of organizations have a, um, have a sort of intensity about them that can that mimics some of this life, but, but then it falls down. Like it doesn't, it doesn't persist (laughs) past, um, you know, past people's twenties, past people's, you know, even just late teens or college years. Um, and monasticism sort of gives us structure and, and some bones to do that into, into adulthood. Um, and hopefully over the course of your life. Um, so, um, I'm, probably making a transition without saying I'm making a transition, but that's, I'll just tell you, that's, that's my sort of impulse and desire for it. It's just like, as I've, you know, I'm 33 now. So it's like, I've, I've moved out of, um, out of the time where I'm in school <laughs> and I don't have those, those structures around me anymore, sort of pushing and pressing me into, uh, into that kind of holiness. And I'm just not like, I just can't do it by myself. Like, I, you know, I don't think I'm made to, um, so I'm not sad about that, but <laughs> you know, but I can't do this thing of like, I'm just going to buckle down and be up at 5am, 
you know, to pray the way I want to pray or whatever, whatever those sort of things are. Um, the question is for me, like, you know, what is this, what team am I going to be on that's going to push me into the kind of holy life that I believe God has called me to? So, um, yeah, well, like you said, I mean, Thomas Merton, his book, um, No Man is an Islander, to kind of, you know, make it a little bit more PC for today. No Christian is an island. Like, we can't do the faith alone. And I, I think that's one of the things is we so often see this, you know, it's, I, I, I worked at a camp, it was a Christian camp, and it was great. And I mean, no disrespect for, to it. But one of the things they called their chapel jam, Jesus and me. And I was always like, no, that's, that's not it at all. Like, it's not just a me and Jesus sort of thing. Like, yes, there is that dynamic that there is me and Jesus, and it does have to be this relationship. Sure. But you can't do it on your own. Right. You know, you, you, you have to have a community surrounding you. Um, uh, Winfield Bevins in his book, Ever Ancient, Ever New, really hits the head on that where he talks about there's just this deep desire for people to be in community with one another again. Mm-hmm. You know, people used to be able to find it when they, they grew up in their hometown and they stayed in their hometown and they had their friends that they had from high school. People don't stay in their hometowns anymore. Or, you know, these things that like you had these rooted communities that we're just transient nowadays. And so you see people that are, that are, desperate to find these types of communities again and i think that's why religious life is on the rise again even if you look within like the catholic church the the numbers of people going into you know either the monastery or the convent or the friary it's it's not a like skyrocketing but it is moving Mm. upwards continually um Mm. which which is exciting to see that people are saying yeah i I need something that grounds me in, in community, especially in the faith. Um, if we have an unrooted faith, we're, we're going to get washed away. You know, right. It's just that simple. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I, and I mean, I know since the middle of the 20th century, at least like Mount Athos in, in Greece has, has had a, had a little revival. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of across the board that this stuff is, this stuff is happening. So, um, it's good. It's good. And it it also offers, so I was in a conference a couple weeks ago and Brandon Hancock, um, who was also a Nazarene pastor, he, he had said something because I, I was talking, I had done a paper on the relationship between Wesleyanism and and Benedictinism and, and kind of how they connect. And one of the things that he had talked about, at least in our American society, which is very capitalistic, you know, we, we tend to pride ourselves on three things, production, reproduction, and self-expression, which we are seeing over and over just how, I mean, capitalism has failed. Like it's, capitalism is, is not the best thing out there as much as some of us try to make it be there there are these flaws within it. But if you notice those three expressions, production, reproduction, and self-expression are the exact opposite of monastic vows, of poverty, chastity, and obedience. And so, at least to me, what I'm seeing is people are saying, okay, like the way that we have been doing things is not working. Mm 
So let's mm-hmm. go back to the exact opposite mm-hmm. where we, where, where we, where we do see something working. We do see men and women living holy lives because of the rules that they surround themselves with. Yeah. Yeah. And so religious life then is a, um, the primary sort of piece of it um, is that we live by a common rule, right? Yeah. That we have a basic um, sort of fundamental um, r- rule. And again, we'll get more into that um, coming out of sort of the Benedictine tradition, uh, but that guides, that guides our, um, our life together. And so um, that's the exciting thing. That's the, uh, that's what this, this podcast here is, is aiming to, to explore and to see the possibility of it. Um, I think that is, is it on the meat for today. But before we go, um, Brent, what are, what are you, what are you into? What are you, what are you exploring these days? Reading, watching? Yeah. So, uh, for watching, I've started, uh, to watch the flash, the CW show. Oh man. Um, okay. that, that came out several years ago. Um, I had seen the first couple episodes, but just like a week ago, I was like, I really want to go through the Arrowverse. Um, so I've started to go through that. Um, in this recording, just that you and I are doing, I don't know if you can see that there's this big old stack of books right here. I, I do see the big stack of books. I count I five do. on top. I don't know how far down it goes. Is that a floor stack or a desk stack? There's 11. 11 uh, that books. Beside okay. me. Um, that are all about the dissolution of the monasteries in England, like we Ooh, talked about a little bit earlier. Yeah. Um, and that's all based around my dissertation work. And so that's what I'm going to be reading for the next week is way too much about, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, to help create monastics and King Henry was destroying them. So yeah. That's, yeah. That's what I'm reading. What about you? Is there anything that you're reading, watching? What am I reading? Um, yeah. Well, I just finished, um, I'm usually like three months behind these things. So I just finished WandaVision yesterday. Um, so, so good. <laughs> so good. So, um, so with my, I don't know, I, my daughter does not like to sleep. And so she was sitting up watching it with me and hopefully that was, hopefully I've not scarred her more, um, with that. But um, yeah, I'm into um, getting my almost two-year-old daughter to sleep at night the way that um, my son did. And then um, WandaVision and, and then I do sometimes read books, I promise. Um, so trying to work through some stuff. I've got um, not nowhere near the stack uh, that Brent has. I'm, I'm hoping to be able to crack open Greg Peters is reforming the monastery soon great resource Um, and that might that might be be helpful for some of what we're doing um uh yeah let me see also just plugging away through some ignatius actually so i think i've wrapped up wrapped up the ignatian letters Um, i was about to say of of antioch or of uh, loyola no antioch yeah um i i've got I need to I need to build my muscles before I take on the 16th century um, <laughs> Counter Reformation. That's another. Right. So that's it. You know, life's uh, life's just going, and looking forward to Holy Week here. 
Um, I yeah. know this will be releasing a little bit later. So that's the big thing right now is just getting the church geared up for, um, for Holy Week. And uh, I also teach, I teach a Bible class. And so we're, we're working on John 18 and 19 this week. And that's been, that's been pretty, pretty fun to go through that again. It's such a amazing, just two chapters of scripture. I, if this yeah. is going to be released after Easter, but um, you know, go sit with John 18 and 19 again during Holy Week. It's, it's pretty unbelievable. So anyway, all right, man. Well, thank you. Good to see you. Yeah. Thank you. Catch up soon.